Praise the Lord for that wonderful truth. Take a Bible, if you have one, and turn to the book of 1 John. Chapter number 2. We have been reveling in the eternal life stream. Now what that means to me is I learned and I shared with you that in as we open the first pages of 1 John, the first verses of 1 John, he describes eternal life. And for the first time, honestly, in my life, I learned that eternal life that was offered by God is much more than a duration of time. It's much more than just living in heaven forever. And he said, I'll give you eternal life. It's not only a duration of time, it is also a quality of time. Learning to live the very life of Christ. And for me, it had just it, it opened up this book in such a wonderfully fresh way. Last week, we talked a little bit about antichrists or predators, those satanically encouraged enemies trying to keep us from enjoying the benefits of the Christ-like life. And they're called antichrists, those against Christ. This morning, we're going to look at just a little different aspect of this, what is important in regards to this life stream of Christ. Let me begin reading verse number 18 of 1 John chapter 2. John writes, Little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now drop down to verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even, there it is, notice, eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught, hath, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. As I read through the book, my first couple of times, I didn't pick this up. But all of a sudden, I started circling similar words. And this passage we're going to look at is full of a particular word that gives understanding of what John is trying to teach us, and that's what we're going to elaborate on this morning. I entitled it, Learning to Stay. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for the sweet time we've already had this morning. I would ask that you would meet with us now and help us, Lord, to understand this message and, and help it, Lord, to, to do a work in our hearts. May you be glorified in it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I think I've told you that my daughter Katie and her husband Brad some time ago got a rescue dog. And uh, that rescue dog came with all sorts of emotional problems. All sorts of emotional problems. And uh, it, would, it, would, it would ferociously growl and bare its teeth at the slightest little thing. It, 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 it was when they got it, the, uh, the shelter told them that it had already bitten a couple of other, other people. So they knew that it was a biter. And it was on its way to being euthanized. Well, for some crazy reason, the kids thought that that's the ideal dog for them. A biting rescue dog that has emotional problems. As if there weren't enough emotional problems already in the home. <laughs> what we learned was that dog did not train very well. Now, mind you, it's not a big dog. It stands about this high. It's not a big dog. But do you know how ferocious a dog this can be? It bears his teeth and, and, and tries to grab onto you and, and snarls and, oh, ferocious. We learned that one of the most challenging things for that dog to learn was stay. Stay. In the dog's mind, when you said stay, it took off like a bullet. Stay. Boom. <laughs> stay. Boom. <laughs> It just, ever saw anything of freedom, it just ran for freedom. I think it's because of the abuse that it received before the kids got it. It had been quite abused. To this day, and they've done, the kids have had it now for several years, to this day, the command that is least obeyed by that dog, that dog now that has become the watchdog of our little grandson, that, that, little, that little dog that, that takes care and guards our grandson incredibly well and wouldn't think of hurting our grandson. Now it will bite Brad's arm off, but it would not think of harming our little grandson. The command that is least likely to be obeyed is stay. There's a highway right outside the kid's uh, property there that goes by on several occasions they have seen their dog almost get hit. And they said, now stay. <laughs> Took off running. Almost got hit by a car. I want you to notice in, in verse number 23 of our text, 1 John 2, 23. It said, whosoever denieth the Son. Well, we learned last week in verse number 22 it says, who was a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. It says, he is antichrist. So it's following that same thought here. Whosoever denieth the Son, an antichrist, someone against Christ, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Notice verse 24. It says, let that therefore, so on the basis of these attacking antichrists, these predators, if you will, that are trying to keep believers from enjoying all the benefits of the Christ-like life. Notice what it says. Let that therefore, notice the next word, abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall, notice the next word, remain in you. Ye also shall, notice the next word, continue in the Son and in the Father. 
Now, I put my brakes on on three words in that passage there, verse 24. First word is abide. The second word is remain. And the third word is continue. And what I found really, really fascinating was all three words come from the same original Greek word. Identical word. They're all the same. In the original, they're all the same word. But for us, we in the English, to have a full grasp of what's being said, they use different words to translate it so we have a better understanding of what's, what, the, what the Greek mind would understand in that one word. The thought here is abiding, remaining, staying, stay, <laughs> stay. Do you know what God tells us so frequently? Stay. And do you know what we do when God says stay? Shoom! Just the opposite. It's just like that dog. We don't like to stay. We want to run. When I got married, I married my best friend. We love doing things together. We talk together. We go shopping. Well, I take her shopping together. We vacation together. I have met couples that go on separate vacations, and, and just uh, that's not us. Just don't understand that. We love being together. We abide with each other. Now, it's interesting because abiding with each other means one is going to have an influence and an impact on the other and vice versa. They're going to have a, a mutual impact. For instance, this morning, it's minding my own business. Reading my Bible. And walking through the room, I was reading my Bible. This comes my wife singing a song. Just singing. She's having a great time with the Lord, singing a song. Do you know how hard it is to concentrate on the Scripture when the wife's singing a song? It has nothing to do with what you're reading. So I didn't say a word. She doesn't know anything about this. Doesn't say a word. Until she's done. And then when she's done, then I start reading once again. You see, she influenced me. But I happen to know that I've influenced her on many occasions as well. We, we affect each other. Abiding together means you're influencing one another. We have uh, what we have heard from the beginning. It was on here. What have we heard from the beginning? Or can I say since we first got saved, what are those truths that we have heard from the beginning? Well, here's a few. In 1 John 4, 14 and 15, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Did you hear what the Father did? The Father sent the Son, His own Son, to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. Guess what the original word behind dwelleth is? The same as abide and remain and continue. And here it's dwelleth. Same word. We could say, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. He remains. He continues in him and he in God. Abiding with the Heavenly Father only comes when we confess his Son. As we confess Jesus Christ, we abide in the Father. There is, I noticed, however, in this abiding in God, um, an unwanted abiding. 
You say, how in the world could we have an unwanted abiding? I mean, to abide in God and He and you, that's wonderful. Not according to John 3.36. Let me read it for you. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. Hallelujah. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Here is an unwanted abiding. The unwanted abiding of God, and that is by not receiving His Son, Jesus Christ. By rejecting Jesus Christ, I instead receive the wrath of God, which it says abides, it remains, it continues. Failing to believe on the Son has extreme consequences. God's wrath will abide on the unbeliever forever. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In Mark 16.16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The writer of Hebrews illustrated this in Hebrews 10, beginning of verse 26. He says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. In other words, willfully ignoring the commandments of the law left no recourse but to face fiery judgment. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, when man rejects God's eternal life, that life that was purchased by the shed blood of his son, God gives man his desire. You don't want my son? Fine, I'll give you your desire. An eternity apart from his son. The only alternative to God's eternal life is God's eternal wrath. You see, salvation is something that, not something you can play with. It's not something you can put off to a later time. It's not something you can gamble with. Salvation, that perfect gift that was bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, is something we need to receive now because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know what your future brings. So you're saying, I just want to enjoy life now, and when I get old, I'll take care of those spiritual things then. You don't know if you're going to get old. People are dying every day. We don't know how long it's going to be before the Lord Jesus returns to claim his believers home, and it'll be too late at that time. In verse 25, it says, this is the promise that he hath promised us. What is that promise that he hath promised us? Here it is, even eternal life. There it is again. That eternal life stream, God promised it to us. You can have all the benefits of this incredible life stream of Christ. It's a promise. Here are the abiding truths found in this life stream of eternal life. This is, a, this is his promise of the very life of Christ. He says, the truths which ye have heard from the beginning, they are experienced by abiding 
in the Son and in the Father. Now that's interesting. Abiding in the Son and abiding in the Father. And how could you abide in the Father? By receiving and confessing the Son. Huh. What are the qualifications for God to make such an incredible promise? I found this interesting. Pulpit commentary gave qualifications. Let me just very quickly give you what these qualifications are. How could God say, how could the Son of God say, I'm going to provide for you a promise, and that promise is you, as a believer in my Son, Jesus Christ, can dip into this life stream of Christ and enjoy all the benefits. How can He make that promise? Well, first of all, He has all authority. Christ has all authority. John 17, 1, these words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify you. Listen here. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And what is this eternal life? Here it answers it. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What is this eternal life? It's knowing God. How do I know God? It's found in this life stream of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is the Almighty with all power to give those blessings. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. Thirdly, he's the life giver. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, And so it's written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. God gave him life. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He is the, fourthly, the life sustainer. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sustains our life. Fifthly, he longs for his people, you and me. He longs for his people to be with him where he is. John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He longs to be with you. Where he is, he wants you to be. Sixthly, his love never changes. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, you and me, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And then seventhly, his being never changes. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So first of all, abiding in God is eternal life. What is this life stream? Well, now we learn today that it's abiding in God. But secondly, we see in John 
or 1 John 2, 26 and 27, these things have I written unto you concerning them which seduce you, the antichrists, the predators, those trying to keep you from enjoying the blessings of his life. Verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. A whole lot of abiding going on here. You better catch this truth, because this truth today is going to be repeated over and over and over again through these passages. Abiding in him. First, abiding in the Father. Now he talks about an anointing, his anointing. I looked it up. The word anointing here means a special endowment by the Spirit of God. Another place is called an unction, the unction of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 2.20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. An unction? <laughs> yeah, an anointing. A special endowment, a special coming upon by the Holy Spirit of God. The anointing, uh, the endowment, the unction which ye have received of him abideth in you. First of all, we learn here that this anointing offers protection from seducers. All those enemies trying to keep you from enjoying the life stream of Christ. His anointing is there to help you against those antichrists. Secondly, it's available for you 24-7. Continuously abideth in you. Thirdly, this anointing, it says, teaches all things. The anointing of the Spirit. His filling of, yours, of you, His coming upon you, becomes the teacher inside of you. And lastly, it's true. It's no lie, it's the truth. This anointing. You got saved, the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible teaches us, came to indwell you. Incredible. In this New Testament age, the Holy Spirit now, at salvation, comes to indwell believers. But though the Holy Spirit comes to indwell, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit at that time has full control of you. What the Holy Spirit tries to do at that time on is to cause you to yield more and more of your will to His. God's will. Didn't Jesus teach us that truth? Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Thy will. And as you and I follow the example of Jesus Christ, and we say, not my will, but thine be done, the Spirit of God fills us. We create a vacuum. We get rid of our will. Guess what? Something's got to fill it. The Spirit of God comes to fill it. And now we are controlled by, or can I say, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Not my will. Thine, the Spirit of God, come upon me. And as the Spirit of God controls me, now he does so in his power. 
with all these incredible blessings. Listening to the radio one time, driving down the highway, and listening to a really good preacher, evangelist preacher, and, oh, he's just really shucking the corn. He's just taking the Word of God and really, really preaching it. He got down, I was only half thinking about what he was saying, though, because I was thinking about something else. He got to the invitation, and sure enough, on the radio, he gave an invitation. I said, this is really unusual on the, on the radio to give an invitation. And he talks about trusting Christ, but here's how he phrased it. At the very end of his message, trusting Christ, and he said something like, to be saved, you must trust in Jesus Christ. And I say, amen to that, and the Book of Mormon, he said. What did I just hear? I hadn't been thinking about it, but somewhere along the line, I started getting a little unsettled about this message. It's unsettled. I couldn't put my finger on it. It wasn't like he was preaching anything wrong, but I was unsettled by it. What was that unsettledness in my spirit? The Spirit of God. It was the divine teacher. It was in me, teaching me. This morning when I got up, I shared with you that I was reading the Bible. The Spirit of God was helping me to understand. We just got through here not long ago teaching the book of Isaiah. And I, and I love the book. But if you were to come to me and ask me a question about a particular chapter in Isaiah, just because I taught it, don't expect an answer. I didn't remember all of it. So I'm reading through Isaiah this morning. I was getting through a passage. I know we, we studied this. I know that, but I can't remember what this means. I was asking the Spirit of God to help me through that. And sure enough, sure enough, as I was going through it, I was beginning to understand. Remember what we studied there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, with that unction on believers, that anointing, or that abiding on believers, helped me understand. So what is this uh, eternal life abiding we're talking about? First of all, abiding in God, the Father. Now he talks about abiding in the Spirit. Okay, when I got the Father and the Spirit, well, who's left? <laughs> Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. Well, who is this pronoun referring to? Who is the him? We've talked about God the Father and God the Son. Who is going to refer to? Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Who is coming again? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming again. And so we understand that here he's talking about Jesus Christ, now the third member of the Godhead. He's telling us to abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we are abiding in this eternal life stream, the very life of Christ itself. In John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He talks about a necessity. It's necessary to abide in Christ. If you don't abide in Christ, you won't have that spiritual nourishment that he has to offer any more than a branch can survive not attached to the tree itself. You break off a branch and you lay it next to the tree. Now you've got this tree deeply rooted and you have this branch. Guess, one which, guess which one's going to die? The branch. It's no longer connected to the tree. 
No longer is it receiving the nutrients. Believers are to attach themselves, to abide in Christ. As we do, we receive all those spiritual nourishment that he has to offer. In John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. There's a privilege of abiding in Christ by staying close to Christ and immersed in and obedient to his word. You become trustworthy to God. He wants to answer your prayers. Thirdly, we can greet him with excitement and boldness. He talks about confidence. If you abide in Him, look, confidence at His return. The word confidence here means boldness, assurance. So when the Lord returns, you can be confident. <laughs> it couldn't have been long after we got married. In fact, it may have been shortly before. I don't remember. So this goes back a few years ago. Spending Christmas with uh, Nancy and her folks there in Illinois, and uh, I grew up in a home where we made Christmas a big, big deal. And uh, I had been away from home, Bible college, and I really missed being home. And I can't tell you what motivated me, and I'm, I'm just kind of crazy now thinking about it, but I remember getting the supplies, and after everybody went to bed, I got back up in their home. I got up this big sheet of cardboard, and I cut out a, a place for what would make it look like a, a fireplace. And, and I, I painted bricks on it, and, and I hung stockings on it, and, and I, had, I built a little fire, not a real fire, a little fire-looking place there, and, and I set that all up over by, the, over by the Christmas tree so that when everybody woke up in the morning, they would come and say, there's a fireplace here. I thought that was so cool. Now, now knowing my father-in-law, I'm surprised he didn't come out and tear it to shreds and throw it out the door, but somehow he was very, very gracious and, and, and tolerated my naivety and my immaturity. But, oh, I couldn't wait for morning to come. I couldn't wait for them to see what I had done. Santa had been there. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> and I had, I had done all that work to surprise them. You see, I was confident for the morning. And that's what God wants believers to be, confident for his return. When the Lord comes back, to be confident, not weighed down with guilt. I was thinking of Achan. Remember the Old Testament? Achan, the Israelites had just obliterated by God's power Jericho. They had marched around it. The walls came tumbling down, and they came in a massive defeat there. But God said, this is the first town now you're, you've defeated. This is a tithe unto me. Do not take anything out of this town. It's a tithe to me. He made it very clear. And all the Israelites knew that they were not to take anything from that town. But one of these guys, Achan, the young fellow, he saw gold and silver bars. And, ooh, he was really impressed by what he saw. Nobody's going to know. After all, here's tons of merchandise, tons of wealth. Nobody's going to know the difference. So he took the gold and silver and some clothing, and he went and hid it under his tent, thinking that nobody saw. Boy, the devil loves to tell us that nobody sees. But you know, somebody always does see, and that's God. God got a hold of attention of Joshua and said, Joshua, call the people of Israel out in front of me. There's sin in the camp. Ooh. 
So one by one, the different families of the Israelites came marching before Joshua, and God says, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him, not him. Family after family after family. Now, can you imagine what Achan is thinking? As all of these tribes are going in front of him, no, it's not your tribe, you go on. No, it's not your tribe, you go on. Finally, after all these tribes have gone by, and God says, no, it's not you, no, it's not you, no, it's not you. The family of Achan is called. Your great-grandfather is called up. It's not you, but it's in your family. Your grandfather, it's not you, but it's in your family. Achan's father, it's not you, it's in your family. Achan stands up there in front of Joshua. And Joshua said, why did you do it? Why did you do it? And of course, God had a death penalty upon him, his whole family. They're all stoned to death. Can you imagine the enormous guilt as he stood in front of Joshua, knowing full well that he could not have hidden his sin from God? Guilt? We will not be able to hide our sin at his return either. And the life that we have lived will not be hidden under a bushel when he returns. We have the ability to stand before him confidently. Verse 29 says, If ye know that he is righteous, and of course, do you know that God is righteous? Of course. If ye know that he is righteous, the word here means, know means to know Absolutely. In other words, if you're convinced that God is righteous, then ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. The word doeth means continues in, just keeps up and keeps, or lives a life of righteousness. Anybody can put on righteousness for a little while. Anybody can dress up and look right for a while. But this means continuing a lifestyle of righteousness. What we have here is a believer detector. A believer detector. Meaning God has given us the ability in a crowd of strangers to pick out believers. Hmm. If you know from the Bible truth that Christ is righteous, which we do, then you know from experience, that's the other word no, to know by experience, that only those who live a lifestyle of righteousness are truly born of Him or saved. But there are what I call righteous frauds. You see, true believers, you and I, we're going to sin. We're not perfect. We're going to sin. But we're not going to dwell or abide in that sin. It's not going to be our lifestyle, if you will. Unbelievers may live outwardly righteous lives, but their efforts will be self-righteous. Thus defiling all the good from their works. Remember the publican and the Pharisee? Remember? Here's this publican, and publican was like a tax collector. And oh, they were looked down upon by the rest of the Jews. They were really looked, they were the off-scouring 
And this publican just felt so guilty. And he was off and he couldn't even lift his head. And he's beating on his chest. God, I'm so unworthy to come to you. Uh, there's nothing warrant, anything, anything of your grace in me. I'm such a horrible person. Over here, it's Pharisee. Pharisee's got a great big old family Bible under one arm. And he looks over at that publican. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that publican. I'm glad I'm a Pharisee. I'm glad I am me and not like him. And Jesus goes on to tell the story. Which one of these two will God declare righteous? The public? Not the self-righteous Pharisee. Amazing. I uh, had the privilege of seeing Jody Larson yesterday. She called and said, anybody going to be at church? And I wasn't here at the time. I knew others were going to be here. So she was going to come drop something off. She said, we got sickness in the family, so we can't come in. Well, I drove into the parking lot as she was just coming back into her car, so I ran over real quick just to talk to her, just to see how things were going. Nick was in the car, and Nick's not feeling good at all. Gracie's home, not feeling good at all. And James is sick and not doing well at all. And James, did you notice? Some of you caught this. James, last week or week before, I think it was last week, came in, the family came in, and James was walking on his new prosthesis. He had his walker and he's walking. It's incredible. Praise God. Well, yesterday, Jody told me that he's got this massive sore in his good leg. I've told Jody that they need to write a book. All they have been through, one enormous thing after another. Um, there were some tears streaming down Jody's face, but there was the biggest smile you ever want to see. Why? Because she's abiding in Christ. Not too far from where my wife and I live, it's where Mike and Rhonda Lee live. A little a tiny house right there at Johnstown. Mike's suffered from horrible diabetes. Not that long ago, he lost a leg. Diabetes. Came bedridden. We, last Christmas, had the privilege of giving together and bought him a hospital bed because the bed they sent home with him was too short. His feet were sticking down over the edge. And so he's in this hospital bed. And what a difference it's made. Now, had we known what they were going to do, we wouldn't have to worry about it because this past year they cut off his other leg. I asked uh, Rhonda when I was there recently, I said, okay, how long before because they're working on prosthetics for him, too. How long before he'll walk? And she says, we're not sure he'll ever walk again. You see, their lives have been completely turned over. Rhonda's life now is caretaking. That's her, that's her life. Guess what? I saw on both of their faces before I left last night. In the midst of this seeming tragedy, they're both smiling. How could that be? 
Because God has made it possible for a believer to have an inner joy by abiding in Him. We have learned today the meaning of abiding. The definition is to stay, to continue, to remain, to dwell, to endure, to stand, to be present in God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and in God the Son. Simply put, when God says, stay, we need to stay in Him. Right before I pray, imagine, if you will, this beautiful stream. We've referred to it so many times the last few weeks. It's a beautiful, beautiful, crystal clear stream. And as you look into it, you see these beautiful trout swimming around in the stream. Glorious, beautiful colored rocks the sun's shining on. The eternal life stream of Christ makes that stream look pale in comparison. All the blessings that God has prepared for us, we who choose to abide in In what are you abiding today? What is your life wrapped up around today? I appreciate you being in church this morning. I really do. For those who can't be here, I appreciate them watching online. I appreciate that. And for me, that's such an encouragement to have you here. But when you leave this place, what is the rest of your week going to be like? What is driving your thinking? What's wrapped around your heart? Tomorrow morning, will one of the first things that captures your attention be God? Let's learn to stay in Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your patience in waiting for us. We, like Katie's dog, are kind of hard to train. Oh, we can do our tricks, but we tend to want to do our tricks when we want to, not when you tell us to. Lord, would you help us to learn to stay in you, to abide in you, to dwell in you, to be consistently in you. Spirit of God, help us today. Help us understand the importance of this truth, the necessity of this truth. And may our lives be affected as we abide in you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In what way has the Spirit of God spoken to your heart this morning? Can you honestly say that you're abiding in him and he in you? As you contemplate this, knowing full well that the Spirit of God knows if you're telling the truth or not, if you've not been abiding in Him, it's not too late. He longs to be with you. 
Would you simply confess your unwillingness to stay in the past and ask for His grace, His strength to help you to abide in Him today? And then if you came in this morning, did you come knowing for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Uh, told this story so many times. But Jesus loves you. He loved us so much, He died for you. He paid for the sins of all mankind. But He asks that we, sinners, who are incapable of getting to heaven on our own because of our sin, because heaven is perfect, we must come to Him and confess that we are sinners and then trust Him to forgive us and save us. Have you ever come to Jesus by faith? and trust in Him to save you. If not, you could this morning. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning say, Pastor, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Oh, I'd not call out your name. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I'd love to pray for you. Anyone like that? They'll say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Please pray for me. Just put that hand up so I can see it. Anyone like that? This morning, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know, but I want to know. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this sweet time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the availability you've given to us to abide in you. Help us, I pray. Help us, Lord, to remain in you, to stay in you. And Lord, we'll thank you, Lord, for your influence, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.